Good morning, church. God is good and all the time. And uh, today we have Isaac Coe, who's decided to be baptized today. And um, Isaac, if some of you remember uh, a little while back, I shared at the end of one of my sermons about a, a young man who, who spoke with me. And, and the question that he was really wrestling with was, is Jesus really worth following? And that is, I think, the million-dollar question. And so I was so excited when I realized that's the question he was wrestling with because that's where everything stands. Is Jesus Christ really worth following? And uh, we're all testifying today how he answered the question, amen? Jesus Christ is worth following. Um, Isaac is uh, studying at Loma Linda, studying global health in the School of uh, Public Health. And um, he's also a soccer coach for children, wanting to make a difference in kids' lives and other things that he could tell you about. But I asked him just to write a few words to, to share his heart with you today for, regarding his decision to be baptized. And so he's asked Dr. Hooker to read that for us at this time. Psalms 121 is a is a text that means a lot to Isaac, and so I'm going to read the first eight verses. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills, for whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Today, I, Isaac Coe, Willingly surrender my life to my Savior, my help, Jesus Christ. There is no one quite like Christ. He is truly worth following. Even if there was no heaven, even if there was no eternal life, Jesus would still be worth following. Jesus would still mean everything and be everything to me. And Romans 6 says, We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Amen. Amen. And so, Isaac, because you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray and then I'm going to baptize you. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in Isaac's life. And today we testify and are witnesses to the fact that you still seek and search all who will come home. And so, Father, we rejoice and we celebrate today in Isaac's decision. And because he has accepted you as Lord and Savior, I now baptize him in the name of the Father, 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd also like to just extend the invitation to anyone here today who maybe has not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior or is wrestling with the question if Jesus is really worth following. There's a card in front of you that if you would like to communicate with us, you can do so and place it in the offering or hand it to one of the deacons or elders or pastoral staff after the service. Because Jesus is absolutely worth following. God bless. I'd like for you to look up and down around you and see if you can see a small, insignificant instrument of immense power and influence. Just look around. Can you spot something like that that might be such a power? At 8 o'clock I came in and walked up and down the aisles, and you should be able to see it. I came in again a little later and checked down this side, and you should have been able to spot a powerful instrument of influence making a difference. Years ago, Elder Charles Bradford, then president of the North American Division, shared a, a, an unforgettable perspective that I'd like to pass on to you. He described a humble newcomer to the Adventist family of faith who sits down and writes a small check and puts it in an envelope. And then Elder Bradford went in on to describe that in the Adventist community of faith, our links, our ties, the way we operate, that, in, that envelope and what's in it reaches out to the world to make a difference throughout the world, to make a global difference for the cause of God. I never look at a tithe envelope, but what I can hear Brad and Brad's one of my heroes, but I can hear Brad <laughs> describing that event and talking about, you want power? Here's something of real power. Jerry Davis used to talk about the power of our generosity. You still hear his voice in the openings of the worship services at the University Church. I love that phrase, and Jerry lived that phrase, the power of our generosity. The energizing motive for our giving is gratitude, my friends. Not you ought, you must, you should. It is gratitude. We love him because he first loved us. First loved us. How he loved us. He, he died for us when we were his enemies. And that love is transforming in its power. God so loved the world that he gave. Oh, how he gave. And he gives, 2 Corinthians 9.15. Paul just breaks out and says, thanks. Thanks be to God for his gift beyond words. So what you're going to do in these next moments, I'll ask the deacons to please come into position to serve us. What you're going to do is a part of response to a God who loved us and gave himself for us.
our giving prompted by gratitude through this, through this envelope, reaching out, my friends, reaching out to the world to make a difference. Let's pray. Our gracious and generous God, take us into your heart that our hearts may fully respond. Thanks for your gift beyond words. This offering we bring, we give to you. Take it, dear God, and use it for the sake of this needy and hurting world. We ask in the name of the one you gave, our dear friend, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Set free, my God.
many of you who are able, please kneel with me in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today because we do want to sing to you. For some of us, it is a song of rejoicing and praise because of the marvelous things that have happened in our relationship this week. 
For some others, it may be a song more of sorrow because our hearts may be heavy, wrestling with some problem at home, at work, at school. But Lord, whatever it is, we bring it to you this morning. We, your people, have come to worship you. Some of us have been on our journey with you for many years. Others may be new in this, but you know where each one of us are and how to speak to each of our hearts. We want to pray, Lord, for our academy student leaders who are on a retreat this week up at Cedar Falls. We know some homes are touched with illness, and we bring those before you. In particular, we think of Nick Maine, the 14-year-old Calamesa resident who is suffering in a battle with bone cancer. And God, we, as part of that extended community, want to reach out to him and let him know that people care that we are praying for him. As we come before you, Lord, um, we do have many joys, many requests. Not all of them have been spoken aloud, but you do see each heart. And you take each one of us where we are. And as Pastor John speaks to us today, Lord, may the message from you that you have from each individual be impressed upon that heart. And God, unite us all in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. There is an endless song that goes in my soul. I hear the music. Thank you, Damaris, for your prayer for us and the congregation. And aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Yeah. I love the Calamasa Church. And you have decided the month of October would be Pastor Appreciation Month. And each week we're focusing on one of our pastors. And this morning we'd like to have Ken Curtis come forward with his wife, Lael. And if we could have them come forward. We appreciate so much what they have done for our church over the years. Uh, ministry is teamwork, and appreciate what both of them have done, plus their kids, Brianna and Jordan, through the years. Ken has been pastor of our church, one of the pastors, for 26 years. And um, <laughs> yeah, what were you doing 26 years ago? <laughs> And sometime you need to ask Ken about his life story, how he first became a Seventh-day Adventist and how he decided to enter the ministry and how he met Leo and how he came to our church. Quite an incredible story. But we're so glad that he's pastor of our church. And Louise Holder has some words to say at this time. Well, Ken, your, in, your sphere of influence has reached to people of all ages and in many places, even to my family, before I knew you. 
While going through my mother's scrapbooks, I came across several articles from the Adventist Review that she had collected, written by Kendrick Curtis. They were helpful and very meaningful to her, so thank you for your thoughtful writings. We came to know you more in a home Bible study group, and even better, while working with the Pathfinder Club for about the last 16 years. We have experienced many meetings, campouts, and faraway camperees, full of hard work, lots of fun, good discussions, and very good memories for the kids and adults alike. Your concern for others is evident by the time you spend with them, whether in a hospital, at a home, at the school, or at church, and the ways you try to help them in a practical daily life. Remember again the whistle stops? I did learn from that program that if a job, whether big or small, is broken down into very small pieces, it is much easier to accomplish. And that has helped me many times. I have seen you looking for people's strengths and using that to plug people in, to get them involved in whatever is going on, especially in Pathfinders and the Pathfinder Sabbath programs. You have affirmed many of our youth by using their strengths and interests and helping them to create a lesson to share with others and making the whole process fun. Through the teen program, you and Lael have helped many youth to mature, learning valuable skills and guiding them in how to be effective leaders and to look for the strengths in others. And Lael, your positive attitude and enthusiastic, we get to. Um, when it comes to possibly unpleasant tasks, especially, has made serving others more memorable and easier job to do. And Ken, when you would lead out an early teen, sometimes, or always, you would listen to the kids, and sometimes the conversation went off in a totally different direction than you had planned. And you went with it and enjoyed it, affirming that their concerns and thoughts are important and that they are valuable to our church and to God. Again, you take time to listen. Sometimes when we are talking about what we need, you respond quickly. At other times, you challenge us to think and to consider another perspective. You have reminded us more than once to slow down and listen to God, to be a human being, not a human doing. That is something we still need to be reminded of. Also, backpacking in Yosemite with the youth numerous times, you helped us to realize how little stuff we really need and who we really need. Your church family appreciates all these qualities and many more, and thank you for journeying with us for so many years and for being our pastor. Now, we asked you to send in words or one word to describe Ken, and here are some of the words that you sent in. Considerate, caring, committed, friendly, deep-thinking, articulate, compassionate, chauffeur. How many miles have you driven the church van? <laughs> he still does it. Yeah, that's right. Um, Bible-knowledgeable, listener-loving, trustworthy, dedicated, Christ-like. And there's some more. And I'd like to add another one on here is teacher. Ken and I have team taught the world religion class for our seniors every year for years now. And Ken's an incredible teacher. And as Saul said the other day, Ken needs to write that book sometime. The other word I'd like to add to that is um, stamina. Um, Ken has led a group of bath, um, backpacking youth every year. How many years have we gone? At least 15. Yeah. Um, in Yosemite. And Ken is carrying a pack of over 50 pounds with extra ropes and extra first aid equipment and everything. And I'm way in the back. And um, I started calling him Iron Leg Ken. 
a very, has a lot of stamina. And so one of the things that the church would like to give to you is a gift certificate to your favorite, favorite, favorite store, REI. <laughs> and this, um, you can use this to help you buy a lighter backpack or a bigger tent or, or something else on that. And there are a couple other things that the church has done. Uh, Lael, you have a couple gift certificates here. And one thing Joy is going to show everybody is a jar of Bible promises that you have written your favorite text with your name on it. So over the years, Ken and Lael can just reach in there sometime, pick one out, and there's your name with one of your Bible promises. Thank you very much, Ken and Lael. Thank you for your ministry. Appreciate you. I appreciate uh, Ken's ministry, and um, I used to appreciate Pastor Saul's ministry. We don't appreciate him anymore. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I texted him last Sabbath, just before second service, and said, hey, it's only been a week, but we miss you already. And he replied back, and he had found his way to a back pew of a church somewhere. And uh, I had said, I hope you're enjoying a Sabbath off. And he said, this is really strange. How do I worship when I'm not a pastor? Is there a manual for this? <laughs> so keep selling your prayers as he's doing God's work over at Children's Hospital. And, uh, but I appreciate uh, all of our associates' ministries uh, very much so. Um, Isaac, where's Isaac? Isaac, if you'd come up here, I have your certificate for you. And I failed to have your family and friends stand. If, would you guys stand as he comes up here? We're just honored to have you with us here today and to celebrate Isaac's, Isaac's baptism. We are... Um, we started last week with our series on the Jesus Creed. I kind of just, just barely cracked the lid, if you will, as we celebrated communion together. So today we're going to be digging in deep into the Jesus Creed book. Uh, we've divided it up. It's actually broken up into sections, and each section is about six chapters. But they're easy. Each chapter is only about ten pages, so it's not, not hard to take it in. Uh, but I do just want to kind of have, if I can, um, just have a little sermon before the sermon. And so I'm going to do that. Um, as I told you before, I don't, think, um, I don't think there's any author that I've read, besides the words of Jesus, that I absolutely agreed with everything. I don't think there's anybody who's ever walked the face of the earth that we should necessarily agree 100% apart from Jesus. Uh, one theologian said it like this, I know all of my theology is not right. Probably 30% of my theology is wrong. I just don't know which 30% it is. Um, so something to think about. So while I've read this book and don't agree with every detail of what he says, I agree with the thread that runs through it from the beginning to the end, and there is some powerful stuff in here. And as I thought more about who we say we are as a community in Calamesa, these banners that hang behind me, loving God, loving people, then I figure it's part of my job to continue to help us grow in that direction. Am I right? Some of you think that. I'll start writing my own job description of things I think we need to do around here. <laughs> but uh, so 
I thought this book would be a great tool, a means to help us grow more in that direction. And so he, Scott McKnight calls it the Jesus Creed, loving God, loving others. Now, there is a term that he uses in this book that um, is being spoken about within our denomination in certain leadership circles. And I want to just let you know where I stand on this. The term that is being said, that, or maybe it's being interpreted that it's a bad term, is the term spiritual formation. Now, let me tell you where I stand with spiritual formation. I am very committed and concerned about how I am being formed spiritually, how my staff is being formed spiritually, and how this church is being formed spiritually. And I hope you uh, want a pastor who cares about how we are being formed spiritually. Um, We are obsessed as human beings with being formed physically, right? But it's essential that we think seriously about how we are being formed spiritually. And the Bible says that God's desire is that Christ be formed in us. And the Bible talks about not to be conformed, but to be transformed. It's all about formation. Now, just as in anything else, uh, within Seventh-day Adventism, let's just use generic terms, you have people, quote-unquote, on the far left, you have people on the far right, and you have a lot of people in in the middle. Well, just like the term spiritual formation, you're going to have people on the left, you're going to have people on the right. I personally, when you look at the genre of spiritual formation, I don't agree with everything in there. But I do agree with a lot of things that are in there about taking seriously our discipleship to Jesus Christ. About doing things, you know, things that Ellen White talks about in all of her writings. About prayer and meditation, taking time in silence and contemplating the cross of Christ. Things that a lot of us sometimes are just too busy to put into our schedule. But that's what it's about. So I just want you to know where, where I stand on that. I'm afraid of sometimes that uh, we can jump to the gun and we can throw the baby out with the bathwater too quick. And I think that I want you to know, he does say the term spiritual formation in here, and I want you to know where I stand on that. I don't know exactly where he would say he is on that term as far as the far right or far left, but I know there's enough in this book that is really good and healthy for us and that is sound biblical teaching that will help us grow in loving God and loving others. Okay? So there's my sermon before the sermon. Is that Okay. All right, now, it's only 11.55, and we've got plenty, plenty of time, so you don't have to worry about time at all, and I'm a perpetual liar, if you believe me in that. But I want to launch in today with a couple of questions. Questions that should be of deep, deep concern to us. Let me just state these questions. How does something so good become so bad? How does something so right go so wrong? How does something meant for righteousness become a means for injustice? How does something so godly become so godless? How does something that has love at its very core and meaning and purpose become something that's used to despise, belittle, hurt, and damage so many people. It's puzzling. But Jesus begins to address this in Mark chapter 12, which is the premise of the book, The Jesus Creed. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus has been answering questions from Pharisees and Sadducees and now from a scribe 
And the Pharisees were asking questions about taxes. All right, let's see how he handles this one. We want to get him in a corner where we can get him in trouble with Caesar, but he answers the question so perfectly. And, and then the Sadducees ask him questions about the resurrection, and, and he answers that so perfectly. They're dumbfounded. They're, they're becoming a, a loss for words as they ask him questions. And so a scribe comes along now in John chapter 12, verse 28, and it says that when one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, Perceiving that he had answered them well, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? You see, if you wanted to know where a rabbi stood on things, you asked him, what's the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? Just tell me the greatest commandment, and I'll know exactly where you are. Um, A couple of weeks ago, uh, Kathy McMillan had... uh, myself and a few other pastors over for a dinner at the medical center for employees who wanted to know more about Adventism. And so we all had different parts that we were sharing, you know, 15 minutes on. And I loved it because when it got down to the Q&A part, one lady said, I'm going to rule her here. i got to go. I have three questions. Just answer yes or no. Where do Adventists stand on gay marriage? Where do they stand on abortion? And, da, 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 da. and you're like, uh, you just want a yes and a no. And that's what this scribe was saying. This scribe said, all right, rabbi. You see, this scribe wasn't looking to trap Jesus. This this scribe was seriously interested. He saw in Jesus something special. He He saw what he thought could be the answer. And so he came and he said, all right, let's just get to the bottom of this. What is the greatest commandment? Tell me what all this law is about. What is your core belief? What is the core of what you teach? And Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You want to know where I stand? This is where I stand. Right there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he punctualizes it when he says, there is no other commandment greater than these. Wow. Better than not murdering, better than not stealing, better than not coveting, better than keeping the Sabbath, better than honoring your parents, better than, really? You see, the scribes had 613 statutes that compromised the law. 613. They also had 365 prohibitions to coincide for each, coincide for each day of the year. Can you imagine? What's the prohibition for today? Just pull it off the calendar. Oh, there's the no one for today. Number 113 prohibition is they had 248 commandments to equal the reputed number of generations of man. And so this scribe asks, what's the greatest? Tell me what it's just all about. Can you just simplify it? What is it? And so the scribe said to him in verse 32, well said, teacher, You have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no one but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself 
is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This scribe was tracking. This scribe was getting it. He sounds like one of those Old Testament prophets coming to the people. When God says, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want, I want your love. That's what I want. The lights are going on for this scribe. And then it says, now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, can you imagine Jesus looking into your eyes that day and Jesus saying, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Wow. Jesus knew this scribe was not far. He was getting it. He was getting it. You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. After Jesus kept shutting down these schemes to trap him in a quarter with these fantastic answers, they realized, the religious leaders realized they could not ask him any more questions. He had an answer for everything. So they stopped going after him verbally and were now going to seek to take his life. If you can't shut someone up, you take them out. And that now is going to be their mission from there on out in the book of Mark, was to get rid of them. Jesus tells us, he refers to the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema was the creed of Judaism. The Shema was everything that Jews stood for. The Shema, in verses 4 through 9 of chapter 6, Pastor Feedy talked about this just a few weeks ago, a great sermon about, about discipling our kids in the church. And in, and in Deuteronomy 6, 4, this is the creed, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. These words of love shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What's God saying? You're to be saturated in my love. And your whole life, whether you're laying down or walking, when you're with your kids, when you're, whatever you're doing, when you're, when you're out playing sports, when you're at home, when you're getting abused on the Xbox, whatever's happening, you talk about faith and how it happens. That's what we talk about in my house. When Andrew wants to play me on the Xbox, he didn't say, you want to play me on the Xbox today? He says, you want to get abused on the Xbox today? <laughs> That's what I'm going to get. I'm going to get abused. But I love him. So I don't mind getting abused by him on the Xbox. But I love that no matter what you do with your kids or anybody, you go and how does this fit in with the kingdom of God? You see, because where God reigns, there is love. When God reigns, there is love. It's not a power trip. It's not a control thing. It's love. And God wants his reign to break through into the earth that his love would prevail. And so no matter what you do, where you go, you talk about the love of God. Now, the Jews, some of you are familiar with how very traditional Jews took this. Some of them you'll see wear phylacteries. They, they black leather bands on their arms with black boxes a uh, black box on top of their head. You can see one on the screen. And inside that is the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and maybe some other parts of the law. And that's where they, they feel, I'm supposed to have this on my head and on my arms, so forth. Or they also put the mezuzah, they call it, on a doorpost. 
and they put the Shema on some parchment and it goes inside. So every room in the house, except they don't do it on bathrooms and closets, uh, they don't feel those rooms are big enough to be considered a room. And so you may see those things. And those are wonderful things to remind us of God's love. But this is where the creed stopped for the Jews. They stopped with this. Now, I'm going to quote my mother here. I did not ask her permission to do this. Uh, but being that I can outrun you now, um, I can say things. I still remember the day I could outrun my mother. That was a big day for me. Uh, delayed gratification of getting spanked is an interesting theory. But I remember I was young. I was, I think, junior high age, you know, 11, 12, 13. And I, and I had this hunger to know God. I had this hunger to, like, read the Bible. And I was just, like, consuming as much as I could, you know, doing one of those read the Bible through in a year plans and just going, I'm committed, I want to do this. And, the, and I just wanted to know everything about God. And I must, I must have had it in my head, but it must not have been living out of my actions real well. Because my mother, I remember she said this to me. She goes, John... Be careful you don't, and you can probably finish this in, be careful you don't get so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. Well, that probably tells you how I was treating my mom and dad. Probably tells you how I was treating my older sisters. Probably tells you uh, things that, that what was in the head wasn't making itself out to my hands and feet on a consistent basis. And that's what Jesus is coming and saying to his people. He's saying, yes, the Shema, yes, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and soul. And, don't stop me there, and the second is as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus, Jesus really did know what life is all about. Jesus really did know what the core of life's meaning was and is. And everything Jesus did and taught permeates with the Jesus Creed. Let me give you a few examples this morning. One is how he taught his disciples to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, his disciples said, teach us how to pray. We want to know how to pray. And so he teaches them how to pray. And many of us here may be familiar with the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, when God's, kingdom come, when God's kingdom comes, it's like I said, love happens in unconditional and sacrificial ways. Because when Jesus came, God's kingdom was here. He said, the kingdom of God is now here. And look how he treated people. It was completely the opposite the way the religious leaders who had the Torah, who had the Shema, who had the hear, O Israel, listen, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Somehow something so good in the Torah had gone so wrong. Something so right had gone so wrong. And so Jesus teaches them, when you pray, it sounds like the Jesus Creed. Hallowed be your name. I love you, Lord. And not only that, he said, Father at the beginning of it, Abba. Jesus, in all of his prayers, constantly referred to his father, his father, his father. In the Old Testament, there's a couple of spots where it talks about father. But they didn't even want to say God's name. But Jesus comes and says, no, no. It's the love of a father. Now, I know that all of us here today, our spiritual walk with God has been deeply impacted by our birth fathers. Whether positively or negatively or somewhere in between. 
And that can be a painful, painful place. But I also want to say that your heavenly father, my heavenly father, is better and more loving than any earthly father can ever be. And that your heavenly father loves you unconditionally. Your heavenly father loves you beyond your greatest comprehension. The most perfect thought of love you can think of is beyond. His love is beyond. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit more as I get into the rest of the sermon. But he says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the second half of the Jesus Creed is about others. One of the things that I pointed out in our sermons on prayer that I, that I love about the Lord's Prayer is the word I or me never shows up in the Lord's Prayer. It's all about God and others. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, forever. I, uh, I was sharing with another group that I am just a, a seriously hopeless romantic. Um, and to me, when I look at the book of Revelation, sometimes we're like afraid. You know, when I was reading that Bible through in a year when I was a kid, I went to my pastor. I was afraid to read Revelation by myself. <laughs> it was too scary. So I asked my pastor, I'm going to hold off on Revelation until you can read it with me and go through it with me. It's too scary. But Revelation, as strange as this sounds, is a great love story. It's the ultimate love story that people have made millions on here in the media. It's the story of the king of kings and the lord of lords, the one who comes on the white horse and has the sword and slays the dragon to get his bride. God is a hopeless romantic, I think, as well. He loves us so, so much. And so he teaches us to pray our Father. He teaches us that we learn to approach God as Abba and Father. We learn what God really wants in prayer. We learn to think of others, and we learn what everyone else needs when we pray the Lord's Prayer. The other thing Jesus did was that he told lots of stories. And I love, I love that Jesus was a storyteller. I love his parables. But one of the stories that I love most of all, and, and it would be a fun little spiritual exercise for you to do, is just go through Jesus' stories and see how the Jesus Creed just permeates through every story. Loving God, loving others. Loving God, loving others. But I love the story that he tells in, in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, the last story he tells, one of three, he tells that wonderful story of the prodigal son. Now, this past week for a devotional for the finance committee and for the church board, I picked the prodigal son story for us to kind of marinate in. And I put as the title on top of the passage, A Case in Foolish Spending. Now, the finance committee didn't quite know how to take that when they saw that paper. And, uh, and, I, and, and so we, we spent some time in this. And, of course, the story goes basically that, that there were two sons and that one of them basically said, you know, I'm done with being around here. I want my inheritance now. So, Father, give me all my money now. And his father gave him all of his inheritance, and he went off to another land, to a far, far away land. And he went off, and as he was there, he used all of his, all of his money on wild living. And while he was there, as he kind of went bankrupt, he ended up sitting with the pigs in the pig slop. 
And as a, he- as a Hebrew, as a Jew, the most unclean place you could be is sitting with pigs. And so not only are you at the bottom of the list, you are below the bottom of the food chain, if you will, because now you are craving what pigs eat. And so Jesus was being very pointed with this story. And he was showing that this person who would have been unclean with you people over here, you would have cast out a long time ago. He came to his senses, the scripture says. He came to his senses and started realizing, you know what? My father's servants back at home, now think of this, he's not thinking of himself as a son of this father anymore because he doesn't see himself being accepted in that way. He sees himself as my, my servants, my father's servants get treated better than this. I'm willing to go back and work like one of my servants if my father will even take me back as a servant and I'll be better off than this. And so the story goes on and it tells of the, the prodigal son as he's walking back home, he's rehearsing his speech over and over and, and he's trying to get the speech right so that when he sees his father, he can say, Father, forgive me for, for I'm just not even worthy, not even worthy to be one of your servants. Would you even take me back? And then I love in the story again, I'm telling you, my favorite word in the Bible shows up everywhere. It says, and when he rose and came to his father, father but... When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This son who had been at the bottom of the food chain eating with the pigs, his father doesn't come and say, I've been waiting for this. I have been practicing that phrase for so long. I told you so. It doesn't say that in the Greek. In the Greek, it says his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The ridiculous love of God. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, son, for this my son was dead and is alive again and he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The foolish spender, not the son. The father is the foolish spender in this story. The one who the son deserves to be corrected and disciplined and shamed and everything else you want to put in there. And the father says, bring out the robe. Bring out my ring. Bring out the sandals. Get the fatted calf. Get the party started. It's time to celebrate. Why on earth would you spend so much money on such a big party for such a quote-unquote loser who brought the family name into so much shame? Because God loves in ridiculous and crazy, out-of-control proportions. Love your neighbor as yourself. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul means things like this, that God loves people who don't have it all together, that God loves people no matter how bad or how worse it's gotten, that God loves and he wants you home. But we also know maybe the story of the older brother who was in the field. He came and drew near to the house. What's going on in there? He heard music. He heard dancing. 
So he called one of the servants and asked what, thing, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Here's the other but that I don't like. But he was angry. But he was angry and would not go into the party. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Hello, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment, all 613 of them at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours comes, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He's lost and is found. See, I've always been with you. All I have is yours. All I have, what is the all? All of my love has always been yours. But you haven't taken it. I love what Brian McKnight says. He says, the problem is, is the love of Torah began to take over rather than the Torah of love. And Jesus was all about the Torah of love, the law of love. Deuteronomy, believe it or not, and Leviticus and all those books are the Torah of love. The word love shows up over 20 times in the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy was the book that Jesus quoted from the most. But people fell into this false sense of security that if we have the law of God, then we are special. No, when you have the law of God, you don't have special rights. You have special responsibilities. You're called to love people like you are being loved by God. As you are being marinated in and saturated in and growing in the love of God, then we, as God's people, love people no matter what. As much as Disneyland would like to say they're the happiest place on earth, Jesus intends his church to be the happiest place on earth because that's where people are loved unconditionally. Now, I hope that kind of scares you a little bit because when you start saying loving people unconditionally, that means, okay, who are we going to let into this church, right? Who are we going to allow to come eat with us and to do ministries with us? And who all? Whoever wants to come. Whoever wants to come. Because God calls us to live unconditionally. Jesus had a very important part of his ministry, Scott McKnight goes on to tell about. And I also love this part of his ministry. I think maybe this is why I decided to follow Jesus. Told great stories. He's a wonderful teacher. And he loved to eat. He loved to sit down at table and talk with people. He loved to sit down and fellowship with people. And in biblical times, when you sat down at a table with somebody, that meant we're together. That means I accept you and you accept me. We are in relationship together. It was a serious thing to sit down at someone's table and to share a meal together. Well, you can go through all the Gospels and you can see over and over and over that Jesus used the table to teach and to show the Jesus Creed. Love God, love others. So many times he sat down at the table to eat a meal with somebody and he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. So many times he sat down at the table to have a meal with somebody and he was accused of hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. 
because he lived the Jesus Creed, loved God, and he loved others. See, when we encounter Jesus, we suddenly realize that we will need to recenter everything. When I encounter Jesus and I'm reminded of his ridiculous love for me, it causes me to think about the center of my life. Is loving God and loving others the center, the core of my life? For Jesus, it was. And when he said, come follow me, he said, come, learn how to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and learn to love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. I will show you. I will show you how. How does something so good go so bad? How does something so right go so wrong? How does something meant for righteousness become a means of injustice? How does something so godly become so godless? It happens when we begin to worship and idolize the things of God more than the love of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came and revealed to us the abundance of your love for humanity. Thanks that you came to show us how uncontrollable, how unconditional, how ridiculous your love can be for us. Thank you that you died on the cross so that we could always remember that's how far your love will go. May we, Lord, allow ourselves to be loved by you in the ways that you so long to love us in. And may we allow your love to connect with those around us, not just those who are convenient, but, Lord, those that might push us beyond our comfort zones. Because, Lord, I, I often ask myself, if I'm, not getting if I'm not getting in trouble for loving people every once in a while, maybe I'm not loving them as radically as you have and you want me to. So, Lord, we just place ourselves at your feet and ask that we will be taught by you the Torah of love. And just take a moment now in silent prayer to talk to the master this morning about your love for God and your love for others.
Hero Church, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. Grace be with you.